Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, entrepreneurship, and life to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today on the podcast is Malika Dooney. He is a global connector, music maven, and co-founder of Gold Credentials, a platform that creates, collaborates with, and activates artists to work with brands to engage their fans. He has worked in the music industry for over 20 years as a global tour manager and event producer at massive events like Coachella. And Malik has worked with tons of amazing talent in the house EDM scene, including Sophie Tucker, Nora Impure, and the late Avicii. And he serves on the board for Beneath the Waves, a nonprofit research institute that focuses on oceans and shark conservations and has integrated NFT art into their efforts. We'll touch on all that. And he is a true global citizen, having lived in London, Cape Town, Sydney, and even Japan, where he taught English in Osaka. And he considers himself a global ambassador, having traveled to 44 countries. Is that is that accurate, 44? Have we added to that? Actually, no, 46. <laughs> 46. And now he could call himself an author. Author, Thankful to have uh, been able to create a book, Malik's Magic African Alphabet Hat, alongside his mother in honor of his father. And it's a tribute to his father and how traveling has helped him create a universal family around the world. And we'll certainly talk about that. Malik is a friend and someone who I've known for a while, and I deeply admire his, his success passion, and dedication to being an incredible human. I'm honored and excited to have him on, Malik. Finally, we did it. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, as we said, is that you know we've been friends for a long time. Uh, when I lived in New York to still uh, moving to San Francisco, that we've still had a bond. And I'm glad to be and uh, appreciate me having this opportunity to be on your podcast. And, and I'm excited to have you. And Malik's journey is really fascinating. There's a lot of elements here. And you're a bit of a Swiss Army knife with an incredible background. You have an incredible skill set. You've been there, done that, seen that. Some stories that we're going to leave off of the podcast so we could share uh, at a later time some of the things that you've seen around the world, especially in the music industry. But I think it's really important to introduce my audience to who you are and your upbringing. I'd love if you could share a little bit about your origin. What are your roots, man? Yeah, so uh, I actually grew up in Los Angeles, uh, in an area called Crenshaw. Uh, now it's basically like becoming like a new like hot spot for people moving there. The gentrification. Uh, I was bused to school uh, from my neighborhood to the San Fernando Valley because the education system was better there from uh, that time of period. And uh, yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, I was a theater major in college. Uh, actually, I went to uh, LA County High School for the Arts, for Performing Arts High School. It's like the famed school of the West Coast. Right. Uh, very fortunate to have uh, so many different peers to see them excel in their arts. Candy Wiley went to my school. Robert Vargas went to my school. 
uh, and to see these uh, other artists uh, that are just doing the things in their craft has made me just very happy that I had that opportunity uh, to be able to go to such a great high school. Uh, UCLA has always been a big uh, part of my life, too. I've been very fortunate to not only go to UCLA and be a part of the theater program, but as I expanded from leaving theater, I still participate with UCLA. I was very fortunate uh, last year for my company to be chosen as like top 100 uh, businesses for uh, UCLA, which is something that I am very proud of. Credentials. I have a new soundboard here. It's just funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But yeah, I just feel very fortunate that, uh, you know, from where I grew up, uh, and the opportunities that I didn't have uh, were created from just being able to understand from my mother said there's good people and bad people. And it's just more or less about right now. Sometimes it seems that uh, good people and bad people What about teaching people about good decisions and bad decisions. So just really believe in humans and mankind or uh, just humans in general uh, and just want to focus on what we can do together collectively. I, I love it. And it's an incredible background that really shapes you. Let's talk about mom and dad. Let's talk a little bit about where they came from and how they helped shape who you are today. Yeah, my uh, dad, he was from Texas. Uh, my mom was from New York. Well, she's from New York. If you said she was from New York, she'll just tell you off. She's like, no, she's a New Yorker through and through, even though she's been in Los Angeles. Yeah, for that's her. something that sticks with us for the forever. I would never change that. No, she's been she's been in Los Angeles for forty seven years. No, she's been there for forty nine years. And but she's uh, a New Yorker. <laughs> she's a New Yorker, so I, I'm always a New Yorker. You know, she's five six four <laughs> living extent, so she's a she's a New Yorker. And your dad? How did uh, he, my dad? He, let's yeah. let's talk about let's talk about your dad for a moment here, because I think there's yeah. a lot of thematics and storylines as we kind of unpack and, and peel back the layers of your onion. Tell us a little bit about your, your dad and how he's influenced you. My dad influenced me in a lot of ways. I think uh, my parents were older when they met and, uh, and they had me and my younger sister. And the one thing I learned from my father is that primarily it's a, uh, they're part of the silent generation. So it was kind of like in regards to the relationship of uh, being able to talk with him or understand things were a little different because uh, the silent generation, they just were just completely like, okay, got your homework, here's your food. It, it's pretty much just kind of the way it is because that's the thing they were born either during uh, after World War II or the Great Depression. And then basically like just to be able to have life and to be able to live and to keep going forward is what he instilled in me. My father, uh, he, he taught me a lot of things in regards to just kind of understanding about people in life and also the arts. Like he really loved music. Uh, he actually worked for Amtrak for a long period of time. So that's how our family were able to travel across to the East Coast to see other family members. So I remember growing up as a kid, uh, my mom actually would contact the school and tell the school that we're going away for 10 days. And what we would do is create journals uh, while we were traveling uh, across the country. That. So it's something very special. It's really interesting to to look back and see how all those family activities and all those pieces that infuse you uh, brought you where you are today. Because you're a connector, you're a collaborator, you're a documentarian, you capture memories and, and you connect folks. What was that? Do you remember, like, have you have you done the full Amtrak coast to coast? Yeah, uh, actually, I've done it several times. Uh, it was literally like? one. Uh, I, I tell you, as a kid, it was... Uh, such an amazing experience because uh, I actually, I remember the first time I went back East, I actually took an airplane. I was six years old and uh, my mom actually said to me that when she took me to the gate to, that, you know, when you're a young kid and you're traveling, 
they give you to the airline stewardess and just she just said I completely was just very excited and it was like bye mom and flew to Washington DC uh, on the train trips it was me my mom and my sister uh, Malakia and you know it was one of those things is that you know at the, that age of being like seven or eight years old uh, it takes two days to get to uh, Chicago mm-hmm. uh, we would stop through Albuquerque it was the Southwest chief. I remember meeting some friends and, uh, you know, just being able to kind of see how it was that eventually in the future, I'd go to Europe and then uh, train travel, like traveling on train is something that everyone does. It's much different. It's just something that everyone is used to. And and it, it's very efficient and very what it is. And, and it seems like here uh, in America with Amtrak, it works really well on the East Coast, uh, like getting from Washington, D.C. up to Boston. But, you know, we can't figure out the real yeah. good kind of train routes from Los Angeles to uh, San Francisco. Yet. The north the north to south, the north to south line is they have a pretty down pack. I mean, it's going to great to see that they're thinking and, and making moves to investing in the high speed rail. But I want to get back to, to your roots, specifically theater, performance, music. Um, it seems like music was kind of always uh, in your house and in your in your blood. What was your first taste into into house music? I'd love to hear everyone's journey into the house music scene. What was your first taste? I would say it was, uh, I remember like going to a, a friend's house in college, like they had a party and then we were hanging out at UCLA. And uh, one of the groups that made me really into dance music was Daft Punk. I mean, Around the World oh, was yeah. probably the first song that really kind of touched me in regards to before I even traveled, it was just around the world. And actually there's some funny memes saying like people listening to a song is around the world. It says it's like, you know, 85 times, but it was more or less just kind of has that like disco funk part to it, which I think that's the whole thing for me. And in regards to just kind of like, it's more or less is that, that, that groove and that vibe. And, you know, everyone still uh, looks up to Daft Punk in regards to that. Um, one of my favorite songs is music, music sounds better with you. And I have to say that, like, I didn't know for the first 10 years that that was part of Daft Punk. And it's just one of those things that like was stardust, but it's just kind of one of those things that when I found it out, it all kind of made sense on that front. And, and how did you, how did you break into the, to the music space from a business perspective? Who was the first artist that you work with? What was your entree into the world? My entree with the world is I worked for a startup company called uh, Gorilla Guide. This is in the late 90s, well, uh, 99, 2000. We're old, man. A, Jeez. Yeah. It was a <laughs> website for backpackers. And what we did is that we were going around to like the best uh, pensions, uh, like basically like the, the before Airbnb, uh, like basically what we did is we went to all the tours, bars, nightclubs, and we gave them like a free web page. The only situation back then in uh, 2000 was there was no kind of revenue stream set up for it. Mm. Uh, so also it was like when you're traveling around as a backpacker, you only had uh, like, a, like I only had a small budget. So it was regards to like going to an internet cafe and spending $7 for an hour or just going in there and just putting in an email to make sure that I was safe. And actually I said fax machine, like fax messages Jeez. once before. But uh, now we're getting ourselves. Right? Oh well, you know I'm, I'm 40 great and I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm, it's funny we're you know we're the same age, man. It's like damn, like yeah. we're not. We still play like kids, right? We still yeah. we still have that child that that playful mindset, which I think is 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 critical there. So so you're working you're working with this company, and how does it lead to to the to the house music world? I led to the house music world, actually, uh, Bill Brewster, who wrote last night at DJ Save My Life. He, uh, I actually booked him for an event that we had in, in San Sebastian. Uh, I didn't even know where San Sebastian was growing up. And uh, we were in San Sebastian, and it's like one of my favorite places I've ever been to. 
most people know about Bilbao. A lot of pe- most people know about Pamplona, but just being able to be in San Sebastian and booking Bill Brewster uh, for an event was great. What we did is we had a party at this place called Batapan, and we had all these backpackers. And the one caveat was is that a lot of people want to go to the running of the bulls in the morning. And my company, what we did is we ended up like booking tour buses, and we ended up getting people to go from the event going to Pamplona in the morning, which is something that a lot of people uh, took advantage of the opportunity not to have to either sleep there the night before or figure out how to get there. But it was something that was a a great experience overall. Right. So who was the first artist that gave you that shot to work with them from a managing, a tour managed perspective? Uh, that first artist on the tour managing uh, perspective, it's just different things. I mean, my first tour managing gig was with Sander Van Dorn, a uh, good friend of mine, Jay Pigeon, uh, who runs Purple Wall. He's uh, the manager for uh, Claptone, uh, also uh, a bunch of other big artists. He's a uh, vintage culture. He's just really someone that I've known over the last uh, decade or so that has really kind of inspired me to see that when I first got offered the tour managing gig, because it was more you're an extension of management. And at that time, Sander, uh, like I had the opportunity to work with him. Uh, he's from Amsterdam, well, he's from Eindhoven. And to be able to work with an artist like that, just kind of be a part of the scene. This is all still like pre social media in some senses, but it's just yeah, it was, there was a much different scene. I mean, let's call it what it was with the, the, the house music scene that, and I, and I say this all the time and I think you would agree, like camera phones fucked it up, man. Right. Uh, the whole, the whole cell phone, like we, we, we were able to live and really step outside and truly be ourselves and do and feel and, and dance with up the, everything having to be on camera or even the fear of someone documenting us when we're trying to have our, you know, private fun moments with our friends. It was, it was a different world. It, it changed it all. What, do, what are your thoughts on the, on the camera phone? I mean, yes. I mean, the other side of it too, right. From a business perspective, social media, sharing, introducing people to new music and artists and events. That's, that's one side of the coin for sure. I would say that like in regards to that is that, you know, you have artists like Lainey uh, who works with the company Yonder where you take your cell phones and you put them away or some clubs in Europe, uh, you know, they put a sticker over your phone uh, to make sure that it's covered. As a tour manager, one of the new things, uh, I mean, usually people have signs, but now people take out their phones and have messages. So yeah, when I've been tour managing, I've had to try to get people to put their phones away. However, it's interesting, actually, uh, Sophie from Sophie Tucker, I'd put up a, a post the other day about saying is that actually she can't even see those phones like it's squinting. So it's it's one of the things that like, you know, you want to have people have those moments. Uh, but I think also in regards to it, it's just, uh, you know, it's a new generation. It's a new way that people are. I mean, people don't ask for autographs; they ask for selfies. So mm-hmm. it's just a just just a different way that everyone's being uh, with technology the way it is. So, listen, I'm sure you have you have crazy crazy stories from being on the other side of the booth. But what what's what's one mo- a moment of of connection, like one of those moments of connection between a fan and an artist that you saw firsthand? Something that really sticks out in your mind. <sighs> There, there are so many. Uh, I, I think I, I would say is um, primarily uh, one of them would be is uh, just working with Sophie Tucker last summer in regards to just kind of the way they are with their fans. It's just primarily no matter where in the world. We, we did 10 uh, shows last summer. We were in Romania. We were in uh, Barcelona and Tomorrowland and just a uh, just the, the energy and vibe of those two and the whole team is something that I found very special because I think in regards to it's that you can really see that 
they're very passionate about the people and their fans and also just very humble. And then after that tour, uh, they went back to New York and their song, uh, Summer New York, was the uh, US Open theme song. And just uh, very happy to see the progress and what they've been doing. We met eight years ago when I was working with Nora and Pure at Buku Festival in New Orleans. And we've kept the friendship and also working relationships since then. Yeah, they're 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 absolutely awesome. We're actually going to go see them this weekend at Governor's Ball. So excited to to check them out and definitely check out Sophie Tucker if you guys are unfamiliar. My wife's absolute favorite uh, group out there. Um, let's talk about somebody near and dear to your heart, if you don't mind, the the late Avicii and someone that you work with closely, someone that you hold dear from uh, as a friend. Um, I'd love if you could just share something that you learned from from him, from your time with him, that you think about all the time and apply to your life today. Exploration, I, I think, is that when I worked with him, uh, he was when we first started working together. He was 20 years old. We were playing in front of 300 people. We actually did a show in Haiti. Uh, it was like a year or so after the uh, earthquake, and just going to Haiti, I was like, I can't believe I'm going to Haiti uh, on a DJ tour uh, with Tim. And he just loved exploration. He just loved like just to travel in the sense of like going to new places. Uh, in regards to uh, everything that we went through on the work side, is because we only worked together for the first couple of years, and we still kept in touch. And it's one of the things that like it took me a long time after his passing to uh, really kind of had that grieving moment. It actually happened during the pandemic. Uh, since then, I've been able to listen to his music and appreciate uh, what he uh, has done for everybody in the mu- in, in terms of like a lot of people, but also for me, just very grateful for having the opportunity to work with him. Certainly, a, a special human and a and a, a very special entertainer. So, travel. I mean, this is something that's a, a theme. You have been all around the world. You've experienced different cultures. Do you have, do you have a favorite place that you've been? San Sebastian still is on the still? top of my list. Yeah, I, I would say is that, it, you know, when you're 25 years old and it, we didn't have phones, uh, you know, even with the internet, I just didn't have any idea where I was in regards to understanding the history that San Sebastian has. It's Basque culture, still part of Spain. And if you go across uh, to, to France, it's Biarritz. And it's more or less, it's just the food, the, the people, the vibe. I mean, it's just something that's very like something that I never thought uh, it's one of those places that before the internet, uh, that I was able to find that I find that's still very special to my heart. It, I, I'm pretty sure that Bourdain did a, a special on San Sebastian. I'm pretty sure I watched that oh. one a, a number, a number of years back. I'm going to have to dig that one up. What, what's, what's next on your list? What's someplace you've been dreaming to go to that you haven't? You know, I, I, I've been thinking about that. I really would like to go down to Argentina. I've never been down there. Uh, also, uh, I've not really spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe. Uh, there's some places I'd like to go check out, but uh, primarily, I, I would say uh, eventually getting down to Argentina would be something that I would like to do. A core theme throughout your life and throughout your story is really relationships, and I want to talk about the the power of relationships. And love if you could shed some light on how you how you approach long term relationships, short term relationships. And what advice you give people out there that that might be that might be struggling? They're having a problem connecting. I would say that the one thing that the pandemic taught me was is that primarily I went from like a zero to a thousand. You know, always on the road, like uh, pretty much just always being around people. And 
what the pandemic taught me in regards to understanding with myself is to also focus on my own energy as well. And I think that what's happened now is that since uh, we're moving into the new normal is that uh, things have just gotten faster. Uh, I also feel that like, you know, in regards to <clears throat> before when you meet people, some people are just like, Oh, Hey, how are you? And uh, as I got older, it's just sometimes you do forget. Sometimes you just need to make sure that you could be able to tell someone you know, can you remind me where we met? And and some people get offended and some people don't, but I think it's, I'd rather be honest about it rather than sitting there. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of people do is if you're with someone, it's like, if I can't remember this person's name, I'm going to introduce you to them and say your name and that, that kind of thing. But I think it's just being really more transparent about your relationships with people. I think it's also the thing is that we all have a lot of relationships with people that you never really met just online. And it's more or less about just kind of, uh, if you don't remember, it's okay to ask when or where and just of be course. kind of honest about it rather than just not. People, people are forgiving and people know that people uh. meet, meet, meet a lot of people. Hey there, fellow podcast listeners. I'm Kevin Logan Jr., host of the Immutable Mindset Podcast. If you're fascinated by Web3, blockchain, and disruptive technology, then you won't want to miss a show. Join me and co-host Adam Posner as we introduce you to an incredible lineup of successful entrepreneurs, builders, and industry veterans who share their insider knowledge, unique perspectives, and personal stories that will leave you inspired and crave you more. Like Mike Isogawa, the CEO of Webacy, who shares her journey from being a Cirque du Soleil performer to a cybersecurity pioneer. Or Dave Schwed, COO of Halborn, who discusses the future of digital asset security and how the future of assets will be tokenized. We also break down complex topics into digestible bits, perfect for both experts and newcomers to the world of Web3. So if you're ready to stay ahead of the curve, subscribe to the Immutable Mindset Podcast now, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Let's talk a little bit about your philanthropic side beneath the waves. If you could share what that's all about and why it's a mission that's so close to your heart. Yeah, Beneath the Waves is something that's very special for me. Uh, growing up in Crenshaw, uh, at least I went to the beach. I mean, some people I knew in my neighborhood never went to the beach. It's about 20 minutes away. It's crazy uh, to think that, right? Like yeah. People that live so close to the beach and they just, for whatever reason. Don't. Yeah. But uh, I think for me, is that like when I was a kid, I was actually riding around the pool uh, in my in my building and I didn't know how to swim, and I ended up like ended up waving at a neighbor, and, and on my big wheel, ended up in the eighth foot of the pool. Yikes. And all all I can remember is like when I was starting to go down in the water, I remember seeing my mother on the second floor of the apartment building we lived in, and next thing you know, she's pulling me out of the water. That was very traumatic. It took me a couple of years before me to to swim again. I actually tried surfing when I was younger, and when I was younger, I got hit over the board, almost drowned. So. My relationship with the ocean was something that was not that or water was something that I felt that it was going to be something. And uh, nine years ago, when I was working at the Summit Series in Utah, I met Dr. Austin Gallagher. Uh, he was telling me about his passion for oceans ever since he was a kid. He always loved sharks. And for me, uh, sharks were things that like, you know, I watched on movies or TV. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was something that like was very daunting for me in regards to like, I remember the first time that I went on a boat with um, Dr. Gallagher, I had Dioro and our team, we were down there for uh, Ultra or Miami Music Week. And we went on the boat and I remember the first time they pulled up a shark, I was completely like up on the second like level just of the boat. Jumping, just jumping, like, like Super Mario, jumping on the top. <laughs> uh, I was already on the top. When they pulled the shark out, I couldn't believe it because you're just literally like, you know, 100 200 feet away from the shore of, of miami bay and, and you're catching 
we caught bull sharks, we caught a nurse shark, we even actually catch caught a hammerhead. So they're seeing out there. Animal, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's the oceans that they, they own the ocean. We don't, <laughs> yeah, but um, the beauty of it is, is that from that first relationship with Austin is that he also has an affiliation with music and he knew that I worked with some artists and the whole thing about for what I've been doing with beneath the waves is making sure to bring opportunities with various artists that are very passionate about nature and the oceans. And I think before the pandemic, it was very difficult to kind of get the time with certain artists due to the fact is that they were touring and scheduling. But I think during the pandemic, a lot of artists kind of took the time to see what they were passionate about. Uh, one of those in particular that's always been passionate about nature and the oceans, Nora and Pure. Uh, I was able to organize uh, that opportunity for Nora and Pure, her liquefied 300 episode, uh, sorry, purified 300 episode. Uh, she actually did a DJ set on the back of the Tigris, the boat that we have with Beneath the Waves. Cool. And uh, yeah, it's got over like 4 million views in eight and almost nine months. It's actually almost a year now. And just to be able to be a part of those situations and, and relationships, the other artist that I got to help work with was Jaws. And it would seem like it makes sense that Jaws would be wanting to be a part of the ocean. Right. Uh, which he is, but in regards to sharks, is the no bueno. But when he came out in the boat, <laughs> he literally was just uh, after the first shark we caught, he was down there and just being a part of it. And it was just, just a great experience to kind of see like people's eyes being opened by this experience of being uh, on the ocean, doing uh, ocean, like basically shark awareness in regards to tagging sharks, which has been one of the things that like the beauty about Beneath the Waves is now is that we caught one shark named Mabel. It's a tiger shark at three times. Uh, one was the same shark. Maverick. Yeah, the same shark. The same shark. Yeah. And she led us to uh, the seagrass uh, down in the Bahamas, which is actually the biggest uh, seagrass uh, been found right now in the world. And that's also going to help in regards to blue carbon emissions. So right. for me, uh, coming from a theater artist background and then going onto a science side has been something that's been very cool because it's like... It keeps you sharp. It, yeah, keep you sharp. You're never like too too uh, old to learn something. Every day you should be able to learn something. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's pivot for a moment here, and I want to talk about uh, this awesome book here that my son, my five year old son Oliver, absolutely loves. Her. I will get it in focus there in a second. We'll link it up there too. Uh, Malik's Magic African Alphabet Hat. And before we do, um, let's talk about your mom. Let's go a little bit deeper into your mom because this is fascinating. Co-wrote this yeah. with your mom, uh, Oni. At the age of 67, got her master's, and after the age of 50, ran 13 marathons. Wow. Yeah. Talk about, you know, making, making us feel like slackers over here. <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, my mom, uh, she is, like, uh, my inspiration. Uh, it's interesting when you're working on a project with a parent, especially about a subject in regards to uh, lost parent uh i would have to say that when i went to japan i didn't know any japanese it was a year after my dad passed away and i was uh teaching english from the jet program and it, it kind of inspired me to figure out something i wanted to do and i was like going you know what well travels changed my life i love kids so when i wrote a children's book and for the first 10 years of writing the children's book i remember like always saying oh my book's done i'm done i'm done and, you know always putting up these facebook posts and 18 years later, we got the book done. My mother uh, has been an inspiration. She's pretty much a natural poet. She's an activist. She's someone who was uh, 
inspired me in so many ways. She's always wanted to give us, like not only me, but any of our family members, the opportunity to see what the world has to offer. I mean, I remember when I was younger, she used to travel herself. And it was just one of the things that has inspired me in regards to why we, we made the book. Uh, the reason why we focused on Africa is because I actually lived in South Africa for uh, four months. And when I lived there, it was because uh, my name is Malika Dooney. So most people uh, assume that I was born in Africa, but I was actually born in Los Angeles. Uh, my sister's names are uh, Lisa, Robin, and Malakia. And my other brother's name is Joe. So it used to be one and of those Joe. kind of con- <laughs> Joe, yeah. And Joe. One of those con- con- conversations. Yeah, the conversation starters for a job interview. Because most people are like, "Oh, so where are you from?" Like the Los Angeles ago. But where are, you where are born? your parents from? Yeah, like New York and Texas. New York and Texas, yeah. right? Like yeah. what? Yeah, but you know, I think it's, it's just over time. I mean, especially oh, with Malik, sure. the name has been one of the things that like most people would associate Malik with. Fife, you know, from Tribe Quest, or uh, Malik Seeley, or Malik Yoba. But like, you know, it actually, uh, it's a great Malik's name. A very. Thank you. I mean, it's, it means king in Swahili, but also uh, Melech uh, means leader in Hebrew. And Malik's a very uh, uh, known name around the world, just in different ways. So speaking about around the world, this book is fantastic. Who, who you know what, let's switch it up a little bit. What is your favorite letter in this book and why? I would say my, my, my favorite letter and why uh, would basically have to be... Uh, the yellowwood trees, just because I, I would say is that like the yellowwood trees, it has to deal with in regards to just kind of uh, understanding about South Africa and seeing how that basically that this is the uh, this is a national symbol of that. I mean, there's a lot of other places that people know about, but also Western uh, Sahara, Dapa Lagoon is one of my favorites, too, because I was able to implement a few things in there in regards to beneath the waves and just, uh, I haven't been there yet, but I really look forward to going there because most people don't know that you're, you can actually do kite surfing in Africa. That's so that's one of the beauties of it too. What do you want children and adults to walk away from after reading this book? Uh, actually when I do sign my book, I always say dream big. And I, I say, I hope you enjoy the journey and also to teach people that Africa is a continent, not a country. I think that's one of the things that <laughs> I'm, I, only, I'm only, I'm only laughing. I'm only yeah. laughing because it's like something you hear all the time. Like no, there's no, yeah. it, it's, it's one of the things that like uh, from, uh, from my friend's kids, actually one of my friend's kids, he's three and a half years old uh, and he actually FaceTime me. And usually when my friend's kids FaceTime me or call me, it's because my last name's a Dooney. So it's usually by mistake, but my friend's uh, <laughs> it's the first son, one on the phone. Yeah. So my friend's son <laughs> called me and I was on the phone with him and he was asking me about, you know, some things that are very hard for young adults or kids in general is about death. And I think that's one of the things that like being able to address it in regards to my dad promised me to take me somewhere and unfortunately passes away is a very hard thing for some parents to talk about. But I think overall, it's more about that, that experience, even though it's fictional in regards to this book is when he was alive, I used to buy him hats in different countries. And when he passed away, I buried the hats uh, in England, South Africa, sorry, England, Spain, and Australia. And I just thought that was too sad of a story, but it's something that made me understand is it like, you know, with children's books and magic and being able to share these uh, experiences, something that will just help inspire them to like learn more about the world. It's, it's a fantastic book. My five-year-old son loves it. We're going to link it up, uh, the Amazon link, and check it out. This is absolutely incredible. Um, what did you learn about yourself from writing this book? 
Like the process. Like the pro- I mean, listen, you said you've been working on it for a very, yeah. very long time. So there in itself was a process. But what did, what did you what did you learn? Like when it was finally done, when you were able to take a breath, when you saw that first, when you held that first bound final copy in your hand. Let's talk about that. Well, it was a pandemic and the books were sent to my mom's house. <laughs> I didn't have a copy yet. Uh, I just remember that I, my mom called me. She goes, there's a, like, there's some boxes here that just arrived. And I said, mom, I think that's the book. And the book wasn't supposed to be there for another month uh, in regards to like with shipping and everything like that. And I was just so excited to see the book that she, you know, my sister is going to FaceTime me with the book. And all I remember is I called my mom and go, how's the book? And she goes, I haven't opened the boxes yet. And I said, what? So I was completely you didn't like, open the box. Oh, it was like Christmas. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you didn't open the box. And, uh, when she did, I just remember her reading it and, uh, and I, I cried. I was just completely like, I can't believe I had this finished. And proud. We did. And, and the process was more or less about just understanding is that like, you know, uh, just finishing something that you believe in or you you have spent the time on that you really want to create. Even it's just like for me personally, like uh, we made 3,000 copies. We sold over 2,300, uh, which has been amazing. And it was just for me personally, you don't make a book to make money. You create a book for a legacy. And that's the one thing that I've learned about regards to how my mom, she makes scrapbooks for me and our family members. And those are the things that are cherished the most is because of, those are the memories uh, I, I would say like right now, like these days, the most uh, kind of buzzword right now is storytelling. I prefer the word storytelling than narrative because I think with narrative has a negative connotation in some ways. Where with storytelling uh, is kind of where like everything started. I mean, even with theater, I mean, storytelling used to be a whole opera of people. And for the first thespian to stand out from the crowd was where in regards to theater kind of started on that front. Interesting. So let's talk about what Malik is up to now. What's what's Gold Credentials all about? So I started Gold Credentials about eight years ago. Uh, reason being is that I noticed that in regards to like tour managing with various artists is that people aren't really looking at commercials anymore. And a lot of brands have been trying to figure out how they can like get into uh, to be a part of the experience. I mean, not necessarily not necessarily just putting up a banner but more or less about what kind of stories can be created. The stories can be created through the art. It can also be created in the implementation organically with having some sort of product placement, but not really just kind of forcing it down a consumer's uh, eyes. I think that primarily from there, it's just one of the things that like uh, for Coachella with Dioro, we launched his website uh, during uh, Coachella at the Sahara tent. Uh, it won a short, it won a Davy award. I was working with a company, Socio Fabrica, uh, which helped help implement that. It was through T-Mobile. And a lot of it is, is that for me, it's just looking at brands and helping them with their storytelling in regards to their content creation, in regards to how a brand wants to be a part of something. And also for the artist as well. I think that that's the one biggest thing about it. And that's why you see a lot of artists these days that are creating their own brands. Uh, has to do with that, you know, they like what they want and rather than it's just something that doesn't really seem to make sense, which happens at times. But for me personally, in regards to the relationships that I have in the music industry is really finding artists that really want to tell their story in regards to working with a particular brand. Uh, majority of the brands I've worked with have been lifestyle brands. And uh, from there, it's been something that, we, you know, working with uh, beneath the waves in regards to just trying to figure out uh, partnerships for them in regards to working with them uh, is something that I've been very fortunate to uh, be a part of as well. I, I, I love it. And what's, what's, what's the secret, but what's the secret behind Sir Henry Pineapple? 
What's the story? What's his, what's the story there, man? There he is. <laughs> okay. So this is Sir Henry the Pineapple. Uh, this one has been to uh, 12 countries and 50 cities in the last year. Uh, actually, pineapple stand for hospitality. I remember when I went to Hawaii and, mm-hmm. uh, 15 years ago, and we went to the Dole Plantation. I was like, where are the pineapple trees? And I'm like, well, pineapples actually grow on the ground. They grow on the ground. Yeah. And from Mind there, blown. yeah. And it's something that like pretty much pineapples has kind of been a part of my life in regards to that front. But uh, I still work with an artist, Thomas Jack, that created Tropical House uh, in regards to just kind of that that vibe. And I think the whole thing is that like for me is that like having Sir Henry with me just like it's kind of like an icebreaker in some ways. It's kind of like you're looking at this pineapple, you're going, what is going on? Especially because it's a disco pineapple. And, you know, it's a little, he, he's a little tattered, but I remember when I was in the Bahamas, uh, my friend, uh, Anthony Black, we decided to name him. And so we named him Sir Henry the Pineapple because I think the regards to the, it's just like, once you name something, yep. it's, it's, it has a life. It. it has a life <laughs> and it's a story. And it's sort of like with SpongeBob, like, I mean, he grew up in a pineapple under the sea. And that's another yeah. children's story that might be coming up soon too. Oh, I, I love <laughs> it. I mean, I mean, you got to have some story security, like going through your bag and be like, what the hell is this? What's inside of it? They want to crack it open, right? What are you hiding inside? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, you know, you have that crown and uh, be sweet the inside, but just really just stand t- like stand tall and be proud. So that's one of the things that I've always looked at in regards to just kind of my experience of, my travels or just being around humans and just understanding that for countries where I couldn't speak the language, uh, you know, it could be like, now you have your phone, you have other ways, but still a smile goes a long way. A smile goes a long way. So let's, let's bring it home here, Malik. What, what would you say is your superpower? What makes you that, that, that superpower that just stands out makes you who you are? I would say it's just pretty much kind of just understanding. Is it like, that with the life that I've lived in regards to growing up in my neighborhood, uh, unfortunately there were a lot of gangs there, uh, but my mom was just very, just, she actually told the, the gangbangers in my neighborhood, she's like, no, you're not like, no, 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 uh, no. And they, uh, they understood, but it was one of those things that, that like my mom pretty much was, it takes a village to raise a child. And what I would say from that point is also it, it takes unity in the community. Uh, actually, um, last Thursday, I, yeah, actually last Thursday, um, Jane Fonda was uh, speaking at the Castro Theater in regards to uh, uh, global climate uh, awareness and also about kind of Pride Festival and just everyone and just understanding that uh, there's a picture of me when I was like four years old uh, of me and Jane, and uh, all I want to do is meet her. However. I didn't know if I was going to be able to, but uh, fortunately enough, I was. And uh, I actually weighed out in the parking lot. What was uh, that like? Uh, it, it, it reminded they, they me of They say never how. meet your heroes, right? <laughs> well, it, it's just, I'm so used to like after a show, is it like, you know, there's so many people out there. There's paparazzi, there's this. But then as a tour manager or someone, is it like, you'll, you'll see a fan. And that fan it just really is uh, like myself. I, all I remember is I said, well, if I don't get to meet her, hopefully I can give her a copy of my book. And uh, when she came out, uh, the person working for the Castro Theater said, well, you know, uh, she has to leave immediately because I saw her car parked there. I just said, hey, you know, if it's possible, I'd just like to give her a book. And when I went up to Jane, I said, hi. And she said, uh, do you want me to sign something? I said, actually, I'd like to give you something. So I gave her a card. I gave her a picture of me when I was four. And I said to her, I said that, uh, 
and I was super nervous. <laughs> and I was very nervous. And I said, I just want to thank you for uh, the activism that you did because the uh, protest that my mother took me to then it was for uh, against Ian Douglas Smith, uh, who used to be the prime minister of Rhodesia. And uh, it's kind of interesting that that experience when I was that I don't even remember at that age to going to South Africa and having a book about Africa seems to be intertwined about kind of the story. So I think that the, 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 the whole thing about life is just pretty much going through the experiences. Uh, I feel like sometimes are good, sometimes are bad, but just as long as you can just sit there and understand that we are all here together collectively. And it's more or less about being able to listen because, uh, along with talking, but just also just trying to be there support for one another, something that I believe in. Absolutely. What was, what was Jane's response when you gave her the book and showed her the photo? She looked at it and she said, this is for me. And I said, yes, it's for you. <laughs> and she said, she said, well, I want to thank you. And I, and, um, I asked to take a picture with her and we took a picture and I, I'm, I'm sure this isn't the last time I'm going to uh, meet Jane, but it's just a, it, it's just a whole full circle kind a full of thing. Circle. I think that's, yeah, and that's the beauty circle, of man. I, I love I love when stories come full circle. So last but not least, you look back on your life. Like all of us, you've had the ups and downs, trials, tribulations, and you look back at those hard times when you had to reach down deep and, and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up and forward. Whatever well you were in, whatever ditch you were in. On the flip side of it, Malik, when you when you sit here with gratitude for this life that you've created, the people that you've connected with, what you're giving back to the world, what keeps you focused? What is your beacon, Malik? What is your north star in life? I would say is just every day is a new day, and uh, some days are good, some days are bad. And uh, I did have a uh, the depression issue that happened several years ago, which kind of really kind of woke me up in a lot of ways. I had woke up and I was paralyzed. Like I didn't look at my phone, I didn't eat or drink, I didn't like like look at anything, and I just just was in my head. And I remember that was a whole day. And the next day I called my mother and I explained to her what happened. And she asked me, did I pray? I said, I prayed, but it just also just kind of showed me, which has kind of become uh, something that is a good thing that's happening these days is that people are addressing mental health rather than it being a stigma. I think it's one of the things that is that we do need to be able to talk to people. We need to be able to address these issues. We also need to understand that not every day is going to be a good day. It's okay to be sad. And especially as a, uh, a male uh, having emotions is that uh, actually, I remember on my birthday, 2020, my friend bought me a birthday cake and uh, I put a video up on Facebook and I was crying and I was crying because I had happy tears. And I remember that just because of social media, that some people didn't even look at, or listen. That's why a lot of people with their posts, they put the words, but it just kind of showed me because some people were worried about how I was feeling, but this is the first time they're seeing me like mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And it just kind of showed me is that like, you know, it, it's okay to show emotion and it's, it's okay to uh, have bad days, but also it's okay to ask for help. I love it, man. I love your story. I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate your generosity and, and the good message that you're spreading around the world. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Malik. Uh, for everyone out there, you can check out Gold Credentials. I will link the book up to Malik's Magic African Alphabet Hat. I'll look it up. I'll link the link it up in the show notes where you could purchase it. Where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Yeah, uh, you can find me at uh, goldcredentials.com. Uh, also, for there's different sectors on there. Uh, also, uh, maliksmagichat.com. 
but yeah, I just really want to say thank you and I appreciate the time and being a part of this because it's something that in regards to being able to tell my story, other people can tell their story too. I love it, man. Thank you so much. And everyone out there sharing means caring. If this episode resonated with you, leave a review, a rating. It goes a long way. You know where to find us on social media, more at the podcast.com. Remember, be good to yourself and be better to others. Look out for one another and we'll catch you next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>